This month marks my two-year anniversary here at St. Peter's. <laughs> two years have gone by, and what a wonderful adventure they have been. I am so honored and grateful to call St. Peter's my home. Of course, over the two years, there have been some bumps here and there as we've gotten to know each other and as I have learned the ropes of ministering to this wonderful family. One of my favorite bump-in-the-road stories happened just a few months after arriving at St. Peter's, a story whose lesson I continue to learn from, a lesson that occurred during an evening prayer service. As much as I love the liturgy of the Episcopal faith tradition, my first few times leading a service left me a little jittery. As a participant, I love the consistency, the rhythm, the stability that liturgy brings to my chaotic and ever-changing busy life. But as a leader who leans heavily on her ability to improvise, the fear of getting this very structured liturgy wrong unnerves me. Having grown up a Baptist preacher's kid and then serving in ministry positions at several evangelical churches along the way, I long ago internalized the rhythm of a typical evangelical service. A welcome prayer, two songs, one sitting down, a sermon with notes only, two more songs, one an invitation, and a closing prayer, and we're out to lunch. (laughs) I can do that service in my sleep. But... Learning how to lead the more structured and jam-packed liturgy of the Episcopal Church was like relearning how to walk. Nothing felt recognizable or intuitive to me. Different services have different structures, and man, are there a lot of services. Morning prayer, noon prayer, evening prayer, Eucharistic Rite 1, Eucharistic Rite 2, Eucharistic Rite 3, healing service, Compline. Those are just the first ones I thought of. They are all a little bit the same and a little bit different. And don't get me started on how learning about when to sit versus when to kneel versus when to stand and why some people stand, why some people kneel. And then how to know if it isn't marked and it isn't always marked when we are to read together or responsibly. There are so many variables. So many ways for a newbie to mess up. So I had only been at St. Peter's a few short months and an official Episcopalian for not much longer when out of necessity I was called upon to lead one of our weekly Wednesday night healing services. Because I am not an ordained priest, there would be no Eucharist, and instead we would follow the liturgy of evening prayer, a service structure I was not terribly familiar with at the time. And to complicate things, we would be interjecting a bit of healing prayer and laying on of hands in the middle. Now, I had been to the Wednesday Eucharist services that Terry led several times, and I had noticed with some curiosity the long moment of silence and stillness that we followed after the lessons. But I had participated in those services in the pew as a participant, not a leader, and so I hadn't really given that part of the service much thought. So, on that fateful Wednesday night, Leading evening prayer for the first time from the front of the sanctuary for a small group of wise and experienced parishioners, including a retired priest and a seminary graduate, people I still didn't know all that well, stillness and silence were not at the forefront of my mind. However, not messing up was. 
So clutching my evening prayer bulletin tightly with sweaty hands, I forged ahead. I put on a confident face, and we began. We read, O gracious light, and the Psalms together. We listened to the lessons. And just as I stood up to start the song of Mary in unison, I heard a passionate voice call from the pews. Can we stop for silence and reflection, please? I had been so intent on getting to the next thing in bold that I had overlooked the small italicized text that read, Silence may be kept here. So we stopped. And I sat down quickly. And Douglas, who had been helping me, sat down. And the small congregation sat down. And there we stayed in silence and stillness while I counted to 64 times. And prayed that was long enough. <laughs> After the service, I made a beeline for Ann Drake and gave her a hug and thanked her for stopping me and calling us all back to stillness. She was my messenger that night. Not everyone would have had the courage to say something. And if she hadn't said something, I don't know that I ever would have noticed my mistake. I probably would have spent the rest of my life barreling through the portion, that portion of evening prayer. Since that night, I've led evening prayer several times. I've even been able to rework the service bulletin to reflect both the place where we lay hands and pray for healing, and maybe more importantly for me, the place where we pause for silence is now marked by bigger, bolder type. And in my copy of the bulletin, it is circle, starred, underlined. <laughs> but slowly and surely, we, I have stopped counting to 64 times. And now we simply sit in silence and stillness until the moment passes, whenever that may be. In today's scriptures from Genesis and Luke, we read two accounts of people who receive messages from God. One account involves three strangers, and the other involves Jesus. In both accounts, the listeners appear to be sitting in silence. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. Now, this story of Abraham and the three messengers, it's a fine story. One where we could ponder, if we so choose, whether the men were angels, or just human men with prophetic messages, or perhaps they were even the Trinity, as some now suggest. But it's the Mary and Martha story, this particular passage of Scripture, that grabbed my attention. Why? Because it annoys me. I do not and have not ever liked this portion of scripture. Why? Because I'm a Martha. I'm a doer. And up until recently, these scriptures carried messages of shame and condemnation as they hit tender parts of my heart all too hard. You see, my childhood wasn't awful, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't rainbows and unicorns in my family, not always having a lot of means. Well, we had to learn how to make do. 
I didn't have the newest, nicest clothes or the newest, nicest bags or cars or any of those things. I learned how to make macaroni and cheese with milk, I mean with water instead of milk in the times when things were leaner in our home. And as a kid and a preteen, a lot of life's little details didn't come easy for me. Friends or school or talents. I didn't seem to have a lot of shiny talents. I couldn't flip well or sing beautifully. And so I learned fast to make myself useful. I learned how to always be on my toes, how to keep moving, how to keep fixing things, how to keep managing situations. Useful people always have something to do and someone to talk to, I noticed. And if I couldn't be the smartest, richest, prettiest person in the room, I could at least be the most useful. So I became a helpful, useful person. And it turns out I was good at it and I enjoyed it. I mean, I like being useful. I like having a task. I like helping. But this way of navigating the world also became my crutch, a way to keep myself distracted and out of focus Which is perhaps why, often, in the midst of the most awkward and painful situations, you will see me being very busy and very useful. This being helpful and useful is a nice thing to be, but it's a safe thing to be. And a person like me can do a lot of good in the world, and a person like me can drown in their own usefulness. We can suffocate from never stopping long enough to replenish our own spiritual and physical oxygen supplies. And what is it that Jesus says to Martha? Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, and you will, it will not be taken from her. You are suffocating, Martha. And busyness is your crutch. Ouch. That hits me right where I live. And I'm guessing it might hit a few of you as well. You see, we're in this busy thing together. We live in a culture and we belong to a faith tradition that puts a high value on doing. As Americans, we value getting stuff done. And as Episcopalians, we value activism and service. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with getting stuff done, with having a strong work ethic, with striving to change the world, I can't help but wonder if perhaps in the midst of all this, we are all suffocating. We are now a society that counts our steps and not our stillness. We walk laps around the kitchen island at 10 p.m. in order to make sure that our Fitbit goal has been met for the day. But our prayer books and our Bibles stay closed and unopened on our nightstands. Like Martha, we are all worried and distracted by many things. And like Martha, some of us are even angry and agitated that others are not doing as much as us. And so, like Martha, we are also in danger of missing the better part. We are in danger of missing the one thing that matters most. In these hard, strange, dark, confusing, divisive times, the temptation to stay busy and distractive is a powerful one. And I think maybe we need to remember again how to sit in the heat of the day and wait for the Lord. How to sit in stillness at the feet of love.
Maybe it is now when the world seems to be coming apart at the seams that we should trade in some of our doing, counterintuitive as that seems to us, and begin to practice being, waiting, and sitting. If we continue to barrel through our doing good list, like I barreled through that evening prayer service, if we allow ourselves to be continually distracted by all the chatter on the news and social media with no place in our day or our lives for stillness or silence, how will we notice the unexpected ways that the part that matters most, the love of God, will reveal itself to us? Now, some of you are like, we've got to get stuff done. And yes, we do. And stillness is not the same thing as relaxing or being lazy, as Martha suggested of Mary. Being still, cultivating stillness internally as well as externally, is different. Because it isn't just a physical act. It's a spiritual choice. It's a choice that calls us to be present. It's about having the humility to say, this moment right here isn't about me or what I can do or what I can say. The spiritual practice of stillness is about cultivating an awareness within ourselves, opening ourselves up to what is beyond us, beyond our abilities to fix or mend or solve or do. Practicing stillness and silence, following in the footsteps of Mary and Abraham, allows us to open ourselves, our hearts, our eyes, and our ears to the messages of love and new life that God is sending us in whatever forms they take, by whatever messenger God sends. What was it that Mary was doing? She was sitting and listening to Christ, foregoing the busyness that can be so much more comfortable. Learning to practice stillness is a gift of kindness that we can give ourselves and the world. It's a gentle, loving balm to our weary souls, one that we may not even realize we need, and one that I promise our community desperately needs. I think so often we equate love with being busy. We think love means doing, and often that's true. Love is filling the sippy cup and driving carpool and picking up milk for the neighbor and going to the wedding and throwing the party and serving at the shelter. Love can look like productivity, but love, obedience, can also look like wasting time. Love can be a yes and love can be a no. Love can be sitting in silence during evening prayer, and love can be listening to a friend without giving advice, and love can be choosing to stand in the longest line at the grocery store so that others can go first. And love can be letting the dishes pile up in order to be present to the moment, to your family, to your neighbor, to the bird in the tree outside your window, to the three strangers who arrive at your door. Love is being busy and love is being still, but it is in the stillness, it is here that we will be changed. It is in the stillness where we will discover the better part where we can develop the ability to hear and see God's message of love and new life, a message that then we can take out into the world. Amen.